Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, explorers, to the Lucky Die in Kino. The world of Bikron is vast, from rolling hills and deep mines to a land filled with dragonborn and oceans filled with maritime horrors. Until now, we have been focusing on the struggles of a few inhabitants in Discora, but they are not the only ones who live in this world. Kino, a land filled with all those races outlawed by the treaty, has its own place in the story of Bikron's impending destruction its own set of individuals working together to survive their daily lives, as well as the apocalypse. Welcome to the backstories of the Lucky Die in Kino. Before the apocalypse, we meet up with our first individual, Aurora Melkavar. We find him locked in his family home and seeking escape when he has an interaction with an important individual. Aurora may be running away, but what is he running to? We find ourselves today on a place called Devil's Perch. It's an island just east of Kino, um, just off the coast, just a little bit. You kind of need either a boat to get there or you're going to need some sort of flying spell. It's not a, we'll wait until the, you know, the, the canal goes down and then we'll cross. Oh no, you need some serious, a serious power to get there. 
today we find ourselves probably 10 years in the past and we find ourselves in this small little place just a small little manor small little farmhouse whatever you want to call it and it belongs to a winged tiefling named Tarana and it also belongs to her partner Balorus and he is a feral tiefling and they are they're both tieflings they have fallen in love and they have two children one of their children is a dark-skinned tiefling with bright white wings and her name is Ain. And they also have a son. Do you want to describe who you are, Arch? Sure. Uh, Aran is five foot eight. Uh, he's kind of skinny at this point in his uh, his life. He's got white skin with streaks of black across his face and along his body. Uh, his feral heritage has given him sharp scaled ridges where one would normally have eyebrows. Uh, he has two horns that are jutting from his forehead that curl backward along the top of his head before curling up and forward to a point. Uh, slightly tapered ears pointing up and backwards. His right eye is a deep red, while his left eye is a deep yellow. He's got a short pointed nose and small fangs showing from beneath his upper lip. Most notably, however, is his wings, which would normally be full strength and uh, very bat-like in appearance, are a bit mangled and malformed. Uh, the bones that form the wings themselves look very thin and fragile. Um, they look a bit gnarled. doesn't look like he could actually fly with these wings. Uh, next noticeable thing is that he's also missing his left arm. He was born, his left arm was nowhere to be found. So he's uh, not necessarily whole. Okay. Uh, at this age in his life, he's probably just wearing simple commoner's clothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, your parents are fairly well off. They're both within the society of Kino. They are both very well respected for their martial prowess. They are... Good fighters. Uh, one winged with javelin, the other one with sword, almost undefeated. However, due to your physicality, shall we say, your parents are ashamed of you. If they had let the rest of the clan know, you probably would be dead. So they use your sister to help keep an eye on you, look after you and hide you away. Your sister is probably closer to being a mother to you than your actual mother. You see her more often. She brings you books and scrolls, food. She looks after you. She helps you. She encourages you. But all the while, she keeps you locked away and hidden at the behest of your parents. Tonight is one such occasion. Tonight there is a celebration going on. You are aware, your sister has told you, Ain has told you that uh, the leader of Kino, uh, Baracus and his son and a couple of the other junior ministers have arrived to celebrate something, an announcement um, that's to be made across Kino to do with the cabinet. But they don't want you there. So far as the world knows, you do not exist. So your sister has taken you down into the cellar where there is probably a little more than a bed and maybe a chest of drawers, perhaps a couple of scrolls. She's given you a book, something to eat, and they've locked you in. 
you are down in the cellar. What time of day is it? It's pretty late. Um, let's say when we finally come to you after the door has been locked for a few hours, let's say it's, uh, it's, it's veering towards probably near midnight. All right. Ain has left the room. Ain has left the room. She's been gone for a few hours. All right. Uh, so Iran is going to first go to the door to the cellar mm-hmm. and check to make sure if it's locked or not. It is indeed locked. Okay. Uh, he's going to peer beneath the crack of the door and see if there's anybody seemingly within the area of the door. Um, the the area where the cellar door is located is sort of like in the kind of like inverted commas servants area, like the back of the kitchen. Um, so not a lot of people will be wandering here normally, but if you sit there and are patient enough, you see the feet of a red and green tiefling walking by. They seem to be pacing and and muttering quietly to themselves. Okay. Um, Aran's going to try to familiarize his the patterns that they've gotten into the same way he has probably for every night for the past couple of years. Aran's going to sit down on his bed, uh, have his tail snake around behind the mattress to where his little hiding spot is, mm-hmm. and pull out his uh, th- set of self-made, shall we say, thieves' tools <laughs> that essentially consists of, like, a kitchen knife he was able to sneak that he <laughs> has been, like, chiseling away against the stone of the wall. It's got, like, a fork. Yeah, you've you've done you've done the prison shank thing where you've taken like the utensils for eating and drinking, and you've just like sharpened them down into points and uh, very finely tuned little uh, lockpicks. Bent That's... a few of the metal pins on the fork to be like the little latches to yep. pick a lock. That is that is absolutely perfect and absolutely something I uh, I I totally think you should have in your collection. Yes, that's fine. Uh, so his tail snakes snakes around, pulls those out, and kind of pulls them into his shirt just to be extra careful in case if someone were to come in. Mm-hmm. And uh, is there a, like a window, like a small? There's like a, like a really small air vent. It's not really a window per se. Okay. You, but essentially it'll be enough to allow like a small amount of light in, enough to allow like the flow of air so nothing in here gets like mildewy or covered in mold or such like, but it's not, there's no way that you could get through that even with like a, a, a shrinking spell or anything. I was like, this would still be too small. Right. Uh, Aran is going to gather up his things uh, because in his mind, tonight is the night. Mm-hmm. The night that he's Indeed been building up to. <clears throat> Perfect. Everyone is distracted with the celebration, the party. So. They are. So Aran's going to gather his uh, shoddily made knapsack, mm-hmm. load in what scrolls and books he has, uh, maybe whatever scraps of food he was able to store away, like some half-moldy rations or whatnot. Your your sister, Aine, when she left you with, you know, your, your food... Um, mm-hmm. She left you with a lot of like things that, you know, would last a while. Like, you know, it's it's not unusual for her to do this, but in the more more recent months, she's been leaving you more things like like jerky and trail rations and things that last for a long time. It's mm. almost as if maybe she's, you know, forgotten about giving you fresh food, or maybe she expects you to be in there for longer. Perhaps not. And I rescind that. He packs up his trail rations. 
and uh, packs everything up, takes a few steps towards the exit, turns around, looks at the room, spits on the floor, and then turns back to the door and is going to make his break. All right. Uh, in that case, I need you to make a sleight of hand check. Okay. To uh, lock pick the door. Uh, meta question. Do I have my expertise? Or not yet? Not yet. I'm going to say not yet. Okay. Uh, no advantages on. Uh, I got a 15 sleight of hand. You... Put your lockpicks in. You give them a good fiddle. You put your ear against the door. It just helps you that that feel that sensation. And yes, you do feel the lock click. Um, and as the door like kind of creaks open just a little bit, that reflex from you know it's being on the hinges. You see someone sitting at the kitchen table. They have a small set of pipes. Just a just a little one, little one that they could play. Um, and you see this red and green tiefling sitting at the kitchen table like looking sadly at this these set of pipes that are in his hands and then he looks up at the opening of the door and he raises an eyebrow at you do I know who it is maybe through I'm conversations of over of over yeah I'm, I'm gonna say through through context you can probably work out this person is this person is Indrak Indrak is Barakas's son uh good good evening he turns his head and again, like it kind of squints one eye at you and puts the pipes on the table and he says, A pleasure to meet you. Who are you? Oh, I am just a um friend of the family. Just uh had to do some cleaning up downstairs. Um everything is done. I'm going to be heading. Oh, I'm gonna need a deception check. Okay. That's a nat one. He looks at you. He takes in the color of your your colorations. He takes in the malformed wings, the missing arm. He looks at the knapsack you've created. And he says, I don't think that's the case, is it? He looks over to where you can hear the sound of your parents, your sister, Barakas talking. Looks back at you and says, so the rumours are true. You must be their son. Aran's eyes are shifting about, going from this guy to the door where everybody is, um, to I assume there's like a back door. Yes, yeah, there's a second door in this a uh, third door in this room, cellar, uh, where your parents are and out. His eyes are shifting rapidly between the three. Uh, he definitely has that cornered animal look. Mm -hmm. And after a moment, he just kind of bows his head a little and says, I'm sorry, I have to go. And then he's going to full-blown dash out the back door. Okay. You, As you turn to leave, he rushes with you. He picks up his pipes um, and he rushes after you and he says, wait, he's literally sort of just behind you, like the speed at which he moves, he's pretty much just behind you as you run. He's like, where are you leaving? Can you not stay? 
Um, Aran's ignoring him. He's full-blown sprinting out the back door and running to his uh, hideaway on the beach. You feel him, you feel the tremors behind you of him running stop. And then you hear a little tune, a little bit of music. I need you to make a wisdom save for me. Oh boy. 11. That's a failure. I don't even look at this to know that's a failure. I wouldn't doubt it. Yes, it was a wisdom save. I just needed to check. <laughs> Hold person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wisdom you, save. Yeah. You feel your body lock up in place, like literally between halfway through a step, your foot makes contact with the ground and you are on a steady footing, but you are completely frozen. And he runs over to you and you can see him like one of his eyes is kind of squinted closed slightly and he stands in front of you. You can see him in the moonlight that's that's high in the sky. There's no clouds. It's a very clear day. Sorry, a very clear evening. And he says, you don't have to run. There's, there's no reason to run. I forget if old person lets me talk. Um, you can mumble, I believe. <laughs> but I'm going to go with, uh, you should be paralyzed for the duration. So you can do like the mumbling thing. And that's about it, really. You don't, you don't understand. They'll, they'll kill me. Let me go. I don't want to go back. I'm a prisoner in my own home. Let me go. He looks at you. He looks down at the pipes in his hand. And he says, I understand. This party is for me. I have to join the cabinet. He lets go of hold person. Aron stops running and kind of just stops and looks at him. Why aren't you trying to take me back? I was told if anybody ever found me, they would try to kill me or take me there. Take me to the, the rest of the clan and have me killed. You see him shake his head. Um, and he says, that's not how I think. We are just who we are. You have a chance to run. To flee and make a new life. I... I don't have that chance. And he again holds the pipes in his hand and looks up at you. This is all I've ever wanted, but this is not going to happen. You just want to play music? You see, he just nods his head. You realize that he's he's quite young. He's probably maybe half a year, maybe a year older than you. There's a girl I'm supposed to marry, but I cannot get away from that. As soon as I am, I'm even more of a prisoner than I am now. Make it off this place. Build a name for yourself. And perhaps those of us who don't think like our parents, our generation, and he smiles, we can do something better than all of this. And he indicates Devil's Perch. Go, I shall. And as he says that, you can hear the sound of an alarm going off. You hear the sound of a high-pitched crane. You can hear 
the dogs beginning to bark and shout. You hear the sounds of movement inside the house as they realise that the two of you are perhaps missing. I have to go. Run. Find me someday. someday. And he puts his hand out to you. Which hand does he put out? It matters. Uh, right hand? Aran shakes his hand, <clears throat> since Aran does have his right hand. Yeah. He's going to give you, he hands over his pipes. He puts them in your hand. And he says, take this. Has magic. Go, go, as you hear the sounds of dogs and yapping and movement. Aran bolts for the shore. All right. You make it down to the shore. You hear the sound of of tracking. You can hear the sound of wings beating above the above your head as they begin to search the area for you, for the lost young man in Drac. You hear the sounds of them having found him and him saying, you know, that he is simply going for a walk. He holds them off as long as he can. You make it down to your hideaway. What's there, my man? Uh, so his hideaway is a small uh, lagoon that is tucked away uh, near a cliff uh, facing the western side of the island towards where, from there, you can see the main continent of Kino. Yeah, Kino proper, yeah. There is a roughly made chiseled canoe that appears to have been made from the trunk of a tree uh, that looks like it's been worked on over a very long period of time. Mm. On the side of the canoe are small engravings, little tickers of each day that has gone by that he was able to sneak out and fix and chisel and shape this boat. Uh, inside of a small uh, hidden alcove in the lagoon is a Again, very prison shank esque chisel that he made out of essentially a a kitchen knife that he like filed down the end until it was flat, and has been using that to try to shape the wood. It's uh, it's taken you a very long time, but you have indeed made yourself all intents and purposes a canoe. Two um, years of his life. When you arrive there, you throw your belongings in your canoe. And just as you get in there, as you get in there to launch your canoe, you hear the sound of wings flapping and you hear the sound of someone landing just behind your canoe. Aran whips around with the chisel in his hand like a weapon. <laughs> you should put the weapon down, little brother. What are you going to do? I will not be a prisoner anymore. I'm leaving. Are you sure? I will not be bound by you. Nor them. But you're safe here. You're safe here with me. If the others find out the things you've done, that that this... You, you don't understand what shame you'd bring to our parents. Them to the parents. Them to this whole clan. This is not a life for me. This is not living, being a prisoner in my own home. Take a persuasion check. Eleven. Freedom's just, it's an illusion. 
everyone knows it's an illusion. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. You're still bound by needing things, by having to work, by having to answer to a lord or a lady or, or the head of a clan. At least this way you with with us, you don't leave me here with them. Find your own way. She looks at you and you can hear the sound of people approaching more, getting louder. If you do this, you can't come back. If you do this, they'll have to kill you on sight. I won't be able to protect you anymore. If I ever do come back, it is them who should run. And with that, Aran whips around, jumps into the canoe uh, as it starts floating away in the water. And he spreads his wings as much as he can and tries to essentially use them as like makeshift sails. And the entire time he's wincing in pain uh, from the wind pulling on his fragile limbs. Okay. As you begin to row away, you hear the sounds of people approaching. You hear the sound of your sister's voice very loudly proclaiming that he's he's gone that way. Follow me. I saw him head off in a boat. And she leads them away to the south of the island. You hear everyone running. She's very loud, very persuasive. You can hear the sounds of water rippling in another direction. And you sail away. It takes hours. It takes hours for you to get from Devil's Perch to Kino proper. You're worrying for a long time. It hurts so much. You're only able to keep your wings spread for as long as you'd wish. It just hurts too much. There's just too much pain. But you make a good go of it. You refuse to give in. That grit, that determination that spent two years to hollow out a canoe gets you across. You're one determined motherfucker. And as you reach beaches, as your canoe beaches itself upon the soft sand, the... Screw it. The soft black sand that you land near. The sun is beginning to rise. And you look across to your island and you can just see the reflection of the sun on the water. What do you want to do now? Aran takes a step onto the shore stands up to his full height turning towards the sunrise looks down at the canoe takes the chisel and digs one more gouge into the side plants a foot on it and firmly kicks it out into the water We look back two years into our second new companion's life. This day, we find Gref Peacebleeder, far from home, to seek the tutelage of an orc weapon master, Helsif. Now, about to head home, what will Gref be taking away from his Orkath experience? We find ourselves on a chain of islands called Orkath. We find ourselves on the Olkath Isle that is close, uh, island that is closest to Kino itself. It's a fairly small island. The clan on it are a fairly small clan. They're not usually invited to, let's say, the bigger meetups with Gorth ahead of the uh, ahead of the rest of the orcs. But you know, they're significant enough that 
their prowess with blades is well known. It's so well known, in fact, that they have a visitor learning how to dual-wield longswords. And today is the day that they ceremoniously boot him off the island for actually having learned the thing he was supposed to have learned there in the first place. The island itself is covered in grasses. Uh, the buildings are generally made of stone and they tend to have uh, you know, dirt and grass growing over the top of them. In the centre of their village, there is a large clearing with a well, a water well. And around this is where we are having this celebration, so to speak, this sending off party. But of course, it's an orc tradition, so there's always going to be blood and beer involved. However, let's, uh, let's take a step to one side of the chieftain before we describe her and find out who we have here. Who are you, Aethor? Uh, I'll be playing Gref Peacebleeder. Uh, he is a traveler, been wandering a very long time, and it's probably very noticeable on him. Dirty, ru- ruined clothes, if the orcs have not <laughs> given him changes. <laughs> Hell no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Should I add right. something else? No, that's perfect. That's uh, that's all we really need, really. Um, you are seated to one side of the head of this small clan, a rather large female orc called Helsif Bloodsmash. She has bone ornaments in her hair, piercing through her nose and ears. There are markings and scratches on her face denoting her position in the clan. You can see that, you know, sorry, you would know that she used to have a husband, uh, a partner, but she unceremoniously killed him when she decided that she was the bigger, stronger orc and wanted to be in charge. You generally don't fuck with this woman. She is huge. She has muscles that, uh, well, let's say some of her biceps are probably larger than gnomes. Um, She's a pretty big, beefy person. She, in fact, personally taught you how to use these longswords. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So today... You only have a singular longsword on you, just the one. Um, you haven't yet been given given the other one. You can practice with it. They are all celebrating there all together. There is a lot of blood wine flowing. There are lots of like small skirmishes between the orcs, you know, a friendly way of talking to one another. Um, a couple of them come over there and just like give you a good thump on the shoulder, which may or may not knock you down. Um, do you respond in kind? Uh, I'm, I've picked up, yeah, 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 like, like I've picked up some of the mannerisms, and I, I, I know that not returning a hearty slap is kind of a uh, submissive thing to do. So mm-hmm. Gref replies in kind, but not so hard that he fears that he might have to wield this blade to defend honors. <laughs> <laughs> enough to let them know you're not going to be pushed around, but yeah. not enough to actually push them around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. They've, they've come to accept you over, say, the last couple of months that you've been here. The last couple of months it's taken you to learn these these tricks with these blades. Um, partway through the... Um, take a perception check for me. All right. Perception. I rolled a uh, 12. Okay. You notice nothing of real mm. significance right now. Um, you get the uneasy feeling that you're gathering here is being watched but you don't know by who you don't know by what it could just be the fact that you are beginning to get a little bit tipsy on this wine i assume you're drinking this blood wine uh if there's blood wine around then i am definitely joining in with the merriment i've worked Excellent. really hard to get where i am right now and i'm gonna <laughs> got them well enjoy it <laughs> that's perfect um you see Helsif, um blood smash she stands up tall 
she steps over to the well. You see her stand up, essentially on, you know, a legs uh, up on the wall onto this well. And she lifts her goblet high into the air and she yells. She basically essentially howls at the moon. It's it's pretty dark now. The, the, you know, the, one of the moons is up currently. Um, it's not full, it's just up. Uh, provides enough light over this series along with the flickering fire. And she lifts her... She lifts her drinking horn high into the air and she calls out the moon and you can hear the rest of them, the rest of the orcs just yelling out in, in chorus. And as the as the orcs slow and quieten down, as she continues to raise it high in the air, staring daggers at them all, you see her lift her spare arm to her, uh, her spare her hands into the air, clench it into a fist and bang it hard against her chest. And she yells, Hellsif blood smash, Kumash Daman. And she lifts... The, uh, the blood horn, uh, sorry, she lifts the drinking horn high in the air again and drinks and she points at you and she beckons you over with one with her spare hand. Um, Gruff gets to his feet uh, a little bit wobbly, half of it the wine, half of it his nerves uh, <laughs> and steals himself before he mar- uh, walks towards her with purpose and, and, and a little bit afraid. <laughs> as you should be she stands you know she stands a good like probably half a foot taller than most people in this area um, and now she's standing on top of a well and now she's standing on top of a well so she's not really freaking tall at this point um, a couple of as you're walking past a couple of the orcs and the ones you began your training with first off they give you a good hearty like you know a friendly shove um, mm. you know you're pretty sure one of them's going to leave a bruise but you know it's just their way here um, you make your way in front of her and she looks down at you and she offers her horn for you to drink from. I receive it with both hands and take a a hearty chuck. Interesting. Take a constitution saving throw for me. <laughs> I got the proficiency of those. Uh, I rolled a 19. Oh boy. You feel uncomfortable you feel like there is something else going on here in this in this blood wine you've been given, but it isn't actually affecting you. You can just like, like you know, sometimes when you drink something, it's that little bit off is about to turn. It's that weird feeling to it, but it's not actually doing anything to you. You're able to drink it, keep it down, etc. And she looks at you and she smiles. You can see her, her her tusks are partly, you know, cracked and broken and stained in places. But she smiles at you. You can see, you know, the reflection of the moon off of her teeth. And she pulls out a dagger and she points it at your face. It's now maybe inches, maybe, maybe inches from your face. And she takes a step forward. It's now touching your skin. Do you want to do anything? Uh, she's holding the blade part against my forehead? Uh, yes, let's say your forehead. I stand my ground. You're not, okay. She steps, takes another step towards you and puts her hand around onto your shoulder. And slowly she moves her hand up around your throat and just holds you, pins you down in place. You can hear the other orcs beginning to chant. Kumash Daman, Kumash Daman. And they get louder and louder. You can see her raise the blade into the air again and she looks around and grunts and smiles. She looks down at you questioningly. She puts the blade to just above your eye, just above your eyebrow. And she looks down at you and smiles, question on her face. I smile back. Give a little, like, <clears throat> grunt. You see her smile again. She grunts in reply. And she cuts into your forehead, just above your eyebrow. 
and she does a series of these small cuts around your right eye from the very top round to the very bottom, a 180-degree arc of very small cuts. She moves her blade out and starts again in between the breaks. And once she's done, you can feel the pain in your face. You can feel each cut as if it was a very small burn. And you see her lift the blade up, spin it round, and cut the palm of her hand as she rubs it over the cuts on your face. And then the pain truly begins. Roll another constitution saving throw. I rolled a 14. The pain drops you to your knees. Mm. It's unbearable. This pain is going to make you want to scream out loud. It's going to make you want to tear at your face. You know, however, that if you were to lift your hand to your face this moment, she would probably just execute you. All right. Uh, Gruff has uh, a piece of his, uh, like, whatever's left of his pads, like, clenched in each fist as he's uh, trying to keep himself from uh, moving the hands up. He's pulling out his pants, he probably rips it a little bit as he's just grunting and winching through the pain. And he's just kind of, like, he's trying not to let out, but there's like a like this little whine coming out in between screams. (laughs) As you're down on the ground, you basically ripping apart your clothing to not scream out in agony. Um, You were pretty much right on the line of failing this. Um, You feel another blade on your back of your neck. This blade is heavier, it's stronger, it's much, much longer. And she taps you on your back and takes a step back and puts the blade under your neck, pushing you upwards to your feet. You can see she has a longsword in that hand And she reaches back and she pulls out another longsword and she looks at you. She's presenting me one of the longswords. Oh no, she has one against your throat, the other is just in her hand. I don't have my weapon with me, do I? You have one longsword. All right. Uh, Like, eyes squinting together, uh, like blood rushing to his face. Uh, He takes like like a light step back and reaches for his blade. Excellent. Okay. You reach for your blade. You feel... Sorry, you hear another orc walking towards you. And as you look around, oh, this this isn't exactly an orc. This is much smaller. Just maybe a child orc? No, way too tall to be a child orc. This person is wearing a large dark cloak. You can't see their face. It's completely obscured. But they're holding another longsword and they present it to you. It's covered in various runes and, and writings. It's written in a, in a dwarvish script, which you know is the same script as, as Orkish itself. Um, and this person offers you the blade. I take it in my left hand and uh, like weigh it, feel it out. And eventually it decides like, no, this this is a this is a main hand blade, this feels right. As I shift it over to my right hand and I draw my other blade in my left. As soon as you make the decision that this is your main weapon, the orcs cheer loudly. Hellsif reaction is to attack you. Ooh. Aha. Uh-huh. So you need to defend yourself, sir. Alright. Does that mean rolling initiative or I'll tell you what, yes. All right. Oh, Jesus, I rolled a five. 
<laughs> this is not you a good. Not prepared. <laughs> this is not a good day for me, huh? Well, she rolls significantly higher, so she's going to attack you first. For a sixteen versus your armor class. Now the real question is: Did I manage to get my second blade out before she attacked yes, me? Yes, she did. Then. <laughs> by the merit of the the two uh, two weapon fighting style, a uh, dual wielder, I raise my AC to seventeen just as I draw my second weapon. <laughs> so I'm assuming what happens here is that she comes charging at me as I, or like she swings down as I throw my uh, start drawing my second blade, and I basically just barely manage to like while it's still in the scabbard, uh, roll myself back and have the, her blade hit the the blade that I was drawing. That's perfect. Yeah, you, uh, you basically hear this like uh, this uh, like um, a hit of metal on metal. The orcs around you have surrounded and made a circle of uh, essentially pinning the two of you in. The person that gave you the blade has stepped back and vanished into the crowd. Not that you're really paying much attention to them now. Um, she takes her second attack <laughs> for a nineteen versus your armor class. She hits. <laughs> I thought as much. <laughs> now remind me, long swords are d twelves, right? Uh, no, longswords are d8s. No, uh, yeah, d8s. Okay. They're d10s if you do uh, one hand, uh, two hand them, sorry. You're thinking of great axes, they're d12s. Fuck, I should have given her axes. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> she... that's an option? <laughs> Why was I learning longswords? She suck. No, I'm joking. Um, so she smashes down one and you basically defect it as you basically pull one of your, your long swords out of the scabbard, the one you originally had. And then as you bring that up, she takes the opportunity and slashes across your stomach for eight slashing damage. Eight damage. That's, a, that's a not a good start for me. It is not, no. She uh, she takes half a step back, so she's not out of melee range. She takes half a step back and she swings the blade so that they're in a defensive position in front of her. All right. Uh... Gref now having both blades out, uh, like kind of like uh, he, he's a little bit hunched over, a big gash across his stomach, not deep enough to actually spill out his guts, but deep enough that it stings and hurts a lot. <laughs> One of his, his uh, right eye is kind of closed because there's blood in it and it's still throbbing in pain, and he's it trying is to unbearable. Yes, <laughs> he's try- really, really hard trying to think of a good way to attack her. She is far above him in any meaningful way and he basically uh, like for a good second he sees that she's taking that defensive position and he's thinking of a good way to do it and eventually just throws caution to the wind and just attacks her with both swords uh, trying trying to like just hammer away her swords and try to get at her alright that's an attack Uh, 19 to hit that hits that's 10 damage you, uh, you you slice down with, I assume, uh, main hand, so it's with right hand. Yep. So you slash across her, like you get between those swords that she's holding up. You manage to like push one away and you give her a good solid cut, like partially down the front of the throat and down the front of her chest. It's not enough to like slash any arteries, but it's uh, enough to leave a deep enough gouge. You think that was going to scar? Uh, emboldened by the hit, I do a little like uh, like turn as I try to bring my offhand weapon up to her. And a 19 to hit. Uh, that hits, yep. <laughs> That's 12 damage. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, how do, how do you slice her with this one? Uh, I would like to say that I like slice her up her arm, like a, like uh, from the elbow up to the palm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I catch her in one of the hands and just kind of like uh, rip, it, rip at it. 
Yep, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, so essentially there's a lot of blood dripping to the ground now from where you've managed to strike her a few good times. Um, she looks very angry, very pissed off. You see her face contort in anger and annoyance. The orcs around you are just cheering at every strike the two of you have. Uh, she goes to strike you again. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, so that's 21 versus your armor class. Hits. That's 12 damage. Ho, ho, okay. She, as you go to strike her along her arm, her annoyance, she looks down at the cut on the arm that uh, on the arm that you've given her, and she essentially just backhands you with the slicing of this blade. Um, it cuts across your arm, not along the arm, just, you know, sort of uh, perpendicular along the lane length of it, and it's cut very deep. You can actually see the bone itself now. It's not a pretty sight. And that's 17 versus your armor class. Yeah, she hits me. Yeah, I'm unconscious. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. There's no way in hell I'm surviving that. Oh, boy. She, <laughs> that makes it easy then. She picks up, as she uh, backhands you with the blade, you can see the other one. She flicks it in the air, catches it by the pommel, so it's facing the other direction, and essentially just punches you in the face with the pommel, and everything just turns to blackness as you feel your nose break. Oh, boy. As you begin to slowly come around, as you begin to slowly wake up, you realize that you're in Helsif's home. You've been here a few times. You've been in the dining room eating with them. You know, you've been there training late at night. You find yourself waking up slowly in her room and she's off to one side. She's asleep. You can see that, you know, her arm has been patched up. She refuses treatment on the wound on her neck. You know, she wants this one to scar. She's leaving it purposely. You feel better. You feel like you're coming to. In the corner of the room, there is that person you saw from earlier. The one in the robe. The one whose face you couldn't see. They're just sitting there in the corner on a chair. Their hood is still down. You still can't see their face, but they are definitely looking in your direction. Their hands are clasped in front of them. They're definitely not from here. Their skin is, well, you think possibly human or maybe elven, too tall for a dwarf. Uh, I start like trying without making it obvious that I'm conscious and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sane, like that I've like that I'm not just in between bouts of sleeping. Mm-hmm. I try to like calmly look for any blade, any sharp object around me. Okay. Um, I feel very uncomfortable being without a weapon, uh, especially <laughs> close to Helsif. Um, Helsif has her, her long swords to her side. Um, she's not close enough for them to get them to you. No. But your long swords are lying on the bed with you, both of them. Uh, all right. So they're on the bed with me. Okay. I, f- mm-hmm. I feel much more... Uh, uh, Gref feels a lot more at peace as he kind of raises himself up to seating position. Okay, all right. Uh, he's going to take the dwarven blade in his hand. It's not a dwarven blade. It's uh, just, ha- it's it's covered in orcish uh, writing. Sorry. Um, but dwarvish, uh, orcish writing is written in the same script as, as dwarvish. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I take the orc carved blade, let's call it that. <laughs> and I quickly start like 
it kind of shocked that it's still around after I got my ass that thoroughly whooped by Helsif. <laughs> I admired a little bit before returning the gaze to the, the hooded figure. The hooded figure stands up, seeing that you're awake, stands at the foot of your bed, and he cycles through languages until you get to one that he's sure that you would understand. And he says, You seem to be very far from home. I had to travel far to find anybody as talented as Helsif. Uh, talking grefts like winches at the pain, the, the gas across his stomach, just breathing and filling his airs with lungs again. Feels awful. Off. He takes a step towards you. He takes a step up towards the top of the bed where you're sitting. Now that he's closer to you, you can see he's definitely humanoid. He's definitely either a human or an elf or a half-elf, which is confirmed when he takes back his hood. And you see he's definitely a half-elf. He's got long grayish hair. He exudes magic, exudes something from him. And he looks down at you and he says, You aren't the only person far from home. I guess even idiots like you deserve a chance. Lift up your hand. I raise my hand. I think you might find this helpful. And he places a ring in your hand. It's black and it's onyx. Good luck. The final chapter this day focuses on our tabaxi-looking Yenti, Ivaris, a mere three days before the apocalypse. Ivaris returns to his home in the middle of the night to find that his mentor is not alone. The question is, should he be afraid of what goes bump in the night, or should they be afraid of him? We find ourselves in a small manor. It's got two stories and it has a, a cellar. Uh, there are large dining rooms, uh, so to speak, and there are you know a couple of good-sized bedrooms. They even have servants here. This is the house of Scamos, who is a blue tiefling. This blue tiefling has a broken horn that goes straight up from their head. Um, and they are now in their old age. They have a very pronounced stoop these days. They're, they're probably like two or three years maybe away from having to have a cane. Like they're getting to that point of where they're being pretty old now. They haven't lost any of their intellect, or their wisdom, any of their sharp wits, none of that. So they still have all that there. Their faculties are still going, but the body is beginning to age to a point. Scamos owns this place. They are a cleric or savras. And many of the servants here just help him help him maintain his home so that he can, you know, continue to go out and spread the good word of the Lord Savras. However, he has in his charge a Neil, do you wanna explain who you are? I am Ivaris. Uh Ivaris is he looks okay. <laughs> he looks like a tabaxi. Uh, he looks like uh, kind of like a tiger um, he's not very strong he's a very kind of athletic uh, dexterous build about him um, he's not a tabaxi though he's a yonti so he has 
slitted eyes, you know, uh, very snake-like. They don't, they don't dilate, um, like a cat's do ever in the dark or anything. Um, he has a long black cylindrical snake tongue and fangs and the rest of his teeth are very short. He wears a lot of fancy clothes and he wears a fancy scale metal armor and runs around and, uh, elaborate stuff. I don't know what <laughs> word to say, <laughs> but he has, uh, he has, uh, <laughs> like clothing. Like he wears a bandana or scarf sometimes to hide that when he goes out and, um, hmm. But uh, his base, basically the stripes on his back and up into some of the back of his neck, everything except his face, basically, uh, have kind of mutated and formed into a very snake-like pattern, looking like if you were to take the stripes that weren't dry yet with ink and uh, blotch water <laughs> on them. They're very blotchy. They're not stripes. They look like a, I think it's like a, a red python um, <laughs> pattern. So, uh, yeah, if people know what to look for, they can, they can spot him. Okay, cool. Um, you find yourself today, um, you've come back here for whatever reason. Um, you are spending the night under your old mentor, Scamos's roof. It's very well known that he doesn't like you. It's very well known that... In fact, he probably hates you. And the only reason he even took any amount of sympathy towards you, the only time he's ever really gone, I guess I better train this monstrosity of a creature that's now living in my house. Rude. It's because Savras told him to. <laughs> this is a well-known established fact between you both. He cannot stand you. But it is the lord of his will, so he has so far managed to convince himself. However... Today, you find yourself here back at his place and you arrive on the doorstep. Scam. You go. Yeah, no, go go ahead. I thought you no, were. No, no, you go. You go. No, no. You, uh, I thought you were done. No, I thought I no, had okay, to do I'm something. Done. I didn't really have anything. So. <laughs> I knocked the door. Okay, cool. Uh- <laughs> no, I'm just going to let myself in. <laughs> this is where I live. <laughs> that's that's even better. Um, So... This is where you consider home, I assume, right? Like even despite being who you are and the things that you are now done and now belonging, uh, now belong to, you consider this your home still. This no, small yeah, this little is manor. great. Like it's a big mansion. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a little manor house. Don't I like. This. <laughs> it's a small manor. Uh, there are some servants here. I'm going to say that you let yourself in. Say, say fairly towards you know. Essentially, he should already be in bed. Like this guy should already be asleep. It's it's quite late at night. No, the uh, the moon is out and it's full, um, and you you let yourself in quietly and 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 sneakily, um, and you hear two voices talking. One of which is your old mentor Scamos, um, and the other is a voice that you've never heard before. It's a woman, and they're talking in low hushed voices. What do you want to do? Um, you would know that they're probably in like a... <laughs> um, let's say that they're in his bedroom. Um, it's not... From what you can just pick up, they're not having like weird romantic talk or, you know, let's just do it talk. Um, they're having a very serious, deep discussion. You can hear raised voices on occasions and there's such like, what do you want to do? God, Neil wants to... 
Neil, Neil leaves them alone, right? <laughs> I hate it, but I think he would eavesdrop because he's curious. You don't recognize the woman at all. You mm. don't recognize her voice. Um, as you sneak towards the door, you can see that it's ajar just a little bit. Um, and you can see the old cleric has, has set, set, you know, sat down at the foot of his bed and, you know, he's, you know, he's sitting on a trunk or something and you can see this other person walking around. Um, they're about, they're about four or no, they're probably about five, five and a bit feet tall. Um, they're a tabaxi. Uh, they have long whitish fur, um, and they just have like a little red nose and like sort of pinkish reddish eyes. Um, they're pretty much an albino. Um, they have ornate scale armor, um, which has a red hue to it. And it has, uh, in the very center on the chest, it has a blue circle. And with her walking backwards and forwards a little bit more often, you can tell that this is a sigil of Sabras, um, on her chest. Hmm. Now I lied. I do actually need you to make a perception check for me. Okay. That's a five. So, uh. I do it. <laughs> mm. No, you don't. Uh, you don't notice the other fairly interesting thing about this woman. That's fine. <sighs> you know that Sabaxi is walking backwards or for- forwards and they're having a conversation. They're talking about you. You hear the whoever it is of Savras. You don't recognize them. You don't know who they are. And they say... You can't trust him. I don't care what voices you claim to have heard. You are not a high cleric. You are not a high paladin. Why Severus would ever speak to you or him in the first place is far beyond me. You can't trust him. He has no emotions, you know. You must know what they did in the last war, what his kind did. They're just cold, emotionless. The enemy, she she will appeal to his cold, monstrous nature, the self-serving he has in him. You know what you have to do? And you hear the old man just like, Well, I I I I heard the voice of Savras, I'm I'm sure of it. I I don't like the boy. After the things he's done. <laughs> I mean he's he lost another was another group of people supposed to be under his command, which he kept secret from me for a while. I still found out. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You have to be done with him. There are people. There are people in the assembly who know things. You cannot trust her. She will use him. I'm basically giving you an order. Do it. Or I will. And you hear her feet scuffling on the floor, coming towards the door. What do you want to do? Um, I'm going to go back uh, to the door that I just came in and Mm -hmm. open it and make it look like I just walk again. (laughs) (laughs) So you want to make it look like you've just walked into the house. Right. (laughs) Okay. um, And intercepting them. I don't want to like hide in the hallway or like rush to (laughs) hide anywhere. I'll 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 confront them. It's fine. Okay, I'm I'm gonna say 
Yeah, you can basically do that. Um, you basically scuffle backwards enough. I mean, he's an old man. He's got to get up off of the, 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 the kind of like the trunk he's sitting on. It gives you more than <laughs> enough time. Um, and you could tell where they are because you can hear her clanking armor. I mean, you're not wearing, you're wearing scale, right? Uh, yes, scale mail. Um, but you're pretty dexterous. So, you know, and they're still, they're chatting and talking and you can hear his old man complaints of like, well, I, uh, I'm not sure I really want to do this. I mean, uh, he is a monstrosity and all, but, and you hear this, like this old man rambling and uh, he doesn't seem convinced that he's going to do this. Um, however, uh, you oh, go back to the door, you open it and then you kind of like close it loud enough to make it sound like you've just come in. Um, and you hear scam of what, what what's that? I <laughs> rolled a deception check. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, yes. Uh, hear, um, you hear, you hear from above, it's like, Oh, uh, boy, are you here? Is that you? And uh, he, you know, he waddles out from his room and he puts his hands on the, like the balcony, looking down into you know the foyer where you are, because obviously he was up in his bedroom. Good evening. Didn't know to be expecting company. Oh, uh, well, 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 I guess I better introduce you. Uh, please, uh, this is uh, this is Millhook, and the Tabaxi walks forward and she looks down. Um, you, you know. You can see her much, much better now. Um, you can, you know, you can see how pale her fur is. You can see how bright her armor is. It's kind of like a, you know better. So you know this is probably magically enchanted. Uh, you can tell that she is definitely a paladin or savarest, much like yourself, but far, far more powerful. Um, right. And she looks down and just nods at you. Iris is going to put a hand forward. <laughs> And he's, uh, he's still got his, he's got his chin up. He's looking confident, but just staring daggers at her. Puts his hand out. Wonderful to meet you. They make, they, they make their way down to you and she puts out a, a hand towards you. Um, and she says, uh, how long have you, uh, how long have you been a, a follower of Claire, of Savras? As long as I've lived here. Any gestures to the house around him? Have you ever... Have you ever heard Savra speak? Mm, once. Hmm. Do you... Like being here? Why would I not? Because <laughs> you don't feel things. I have to feel things. To enjoy a home and a purpose? What are you asking? She kind of like looks you up and down. She says, Losing your second group. How did that make you feel? Did that spark anything in there? That cold... Whatever it is that you have? Iris's teeth kind of grit together a little bit. He doesn't show it very much, but he's he's frustrated by that. Cool. I don't know what business you think that that is of yours, but it was their own fault. I cannot make any of them listen. Well, I can, but you all won't like that, will you? <sighs> she gives you a very long, hard stare. 
And she says, I don't know what the... I don't know what the future holds for you. And she kind of chuckles a little bit, the irony of following Savras and not knowing the future. Um, She says, but there are people who could use you. Make sure you try and stay on the right path. You'll get what's coming to you. Iris gets very close to her and like steps like in her face. Oh, she's she's not backing down. She's in your face too. Like she's just right up there. Like your little noses are almost touching. Like <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's so cute, except it's so fucking dangerous. I mean, like the woman is carrying like a, you know, um now you can see like she's carrying like an array of swords and and, and a oh, small mason one. Um uh, She's she's still up in your face. Um, the old the old man Scamos is just like looking between you, like kind of terrified. I've got no fucking clue what to do. He can't do anything anyway. Um, what do you want to do? I received a promise from Savras himself. I'm on the path I need to be on. I just need you all to stay out of my way. Make a persuasion check for me. 14. Boo. She puts a hand out and just taps the side of your face. She says, (laughs) I guess I'll see you on your path then. However long or short that might be. And she gives you like one more pat on the top of the head like a kitten and she leaves. Iris is Definitely, um, he, he like there was a little aggression there, but like he still remained calm, cool, collected. Like he he, <laughs> he maintains that, he holds that, and keeps his chin up, and just very calmly watches them leave, uh, and then the looks back gone. up at uh, yeah, scamos, <laughs> scamos. <laughs> God damn it, man. Scamos. He's been your life, almost your lifelong companion. You don't remember his name. What a dick, Neil. Um, (laughs) Scamos looks at you. He assesses you. He sees that cool, calm, collected exterior that you're putting on. Um, He just gives you a nod, a little shake of his head, and he walks back to his bedroom. I've had enough of this bullshit, so (laughs) I'm done with my day. All right, you head back to bed. Sorry, you head up to bed. Um, (laughs) It's probably three, four hours after you settle down and go to sleep. You hear the old man snore softly for a while and then you nod off to sleep. Three or four hours later, you just get this cold feeling in the middle of a dream, in the middle of this twisted dark dream the the details of which just slip out of your fingers like holding water you just begin to lose what the details are when your eyes flick open and in front of you you see Scamos you see the little moonlight coming through your window reflecting off of his broken horn and you see it reflecting off of a dagger and he says well uh, I should be sorry I'm not I'd be disappointed in you, but I know what you are. I've created a cold, heartless monster. And he slashes down at your throat. 
and he catches you across very, very deep. He then flicks the knife over and stabs to gouge out your eyes before you can do what he knows you can do. What do you want to do? You feel the blade plunge deep into your eye. Okay. Um, can't close my eyes. I need those, though, because um, I have to... <laughs> I'm going to... I've been looking up at him. I'm going to mind control him, like, really, really fast. Okay. Tell me what that is. Um, well, he's mind controlled now. <laughs> <laughs> um, as an action, you can use your channel divinity to magically enthrall another creature within five feet of you. If the target can see or hear you, it must make a wisdom saving throw or become charmed by you for one minute. You can use a bonus action... Uh, to issue simple commands to the charmed creature if it is within 60 feet of you. You decide what action the creature will take and where it will move during its next turn. When you issue a command at the end of its turns, it must succeed a wisdom saving throw or carry out your instructions to the best of your ability on your turn. Essentially, you can do that bloody horrible thing where you can make him cause damage to himself, correct? Yes, it does not specify anywhere that that is not a thing. It's like a short, it's like a, it gets longer eventually, but at the moment it's Mm -hmm. just a shorter, it's called fail suggestion. It's a shorter version of the word suggestion that has less limitations. All right. I'm just going to do his wisdom check. Failed. Need a, need an eight. (laughs) Well, that sucks for him. Very unfortunate. Sucks to be him. Uh, As you essentially open your single eye, the other one ruined in absolute agony and pain. Essentially, all you can see is just redness um, before it just goes completely gone from your vision. Um, He's holding the blade steady in the ruined socket of your eye. Um, You can feel the blood beginning to pour out from the wound at your throat. um, And he's just there stationary. All you can see are his eyes flickering from left to right, trying to figure out how to get out of this. But... Uh, Iris pushes him backwards so that he can get up and he's mm-hmm. going to pull the dagger from his eye. Cool. You definitely do that. You pull the dagger out. You see his eyes just flicking to the dagger and looking at you, looking back at the dagger and looking back at you. He's clearly terrified. And uh, Iris gives him a disappointed look and his other eye, there's a little bit of water starting up there. And he's clenching his jaw really tightly and uh, shaking a little bit. And he looks at him. I never did a thing in the world to you. And he holds the dagger out at the guy's throat and uh, gives him another command because with fell suggestion, you can give multiple commands and he hasn't even issued a single command yet. Correct. Step forward. You see him look at you. You see him trying to fight this command and you see tears begin to flow. He's seen that something in that one remaining eye. He saw that. He saw that emotion for just a second. And almost winningly, he steps forward into the blade. Hi everyone, it's Vlonda, the voice of Bikron. Yay, the voice of Bitcoin as a whole now. We want to thank our patrons so, so, so much for getting us to Kino. We did not expect it to happen this quickly. This has all been a bit of a rush and a mad scramble, but it's good. And we thank you guys so, so much. You are incredible. Thank you. If you would like to help us out, um, you can still help us out by becoming a patron. 
Um, and if you can't help us out because you don't have any spare cash hanging around, then shouting us out and giving us reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and all those other good places is really good and really helpful to us. Thank you. Oh, and also we adore reading them. That would be awesome. If you want to chat out and hang with us, then you can get hold of us on Twitter at TLDpod, or you can also go onto our Discord and all the details are up there on our Twitter. If you want to have a look at our website, our website is theluckydie.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.